I have a question for you this morning. What is your favorite movie about love? I'm sure a lot of different movies will come to mind. I wanted to just take a look at a couple of classic movies about love. And here is the first. Does anybody know the name of this movie? Okay, The Notebook. And uh, it's about a working class guy that falls in love with an uptown girl. And uh, nothing that life throws at them can break them apart. Now here's another Another movie that really is quite iconic, it's called um, Clueless in Seattle. No, I'm sorry, Sleepless in Seattle. And it involves, involves a young Tom Hanks who plays the part of Sam, and Sam's wife has died, so his, his son gets on this um, radio call-in program trying to find a new, new wife for his dad, and of course that conversation is overheard by Meg Ryan, a.k.a. Annie, and she follows her Sam, and the rest is history. They uh, decide to meet at the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day. You can't get more romantic than that. And this is one of my favorite movies about love. Some of you know this character. Who's that? That's Rocky Balboa. Now, who's missing from the picture? The love of his life. Who is who? Adrian. Adrian. And you know, after standing toe-to-toe with Apollo Creed, the heavyweight champion of the world, for 15 rounds, what does is, what is Rocky yell at the end of the fight? Yo, Adrian, I did it! Now, here's, here's a movie, here's a movie that, that may surprise you a little bit, but it really is um, about love. It shows that you can love an extraterrestrial. Um, this is E.T., and of course, Elliot loves E.T., and you know that, because at the end of the movie, Elliot is willing to let E.T. go and to phone home. And then here's, here's one last movie, and this is for all you pet lovers, myself included. Um, this is Marley and Me, and it shows that we can love our pets even though they make us a little bit crazy at times. Now, we all have our favorite movie, our favorite song, our favorite story about love, but this morning I want you to think with me about what I consider to be the greatest love story of all time, the story of Easter, because it really is a love story. Now, just a special word to you guys out there this morning, because uh, I know that some of you may be thinking, oh, okay, the pastor is going to talk about a love story, and uh, you may be thinking about how you can check out. I want to invite you to check in, because this love story is filled with action and adventure. It's a story about a daring rescue. Um, it's a story about courage and, and a, a dramatic comeback despite all odds. Does that sound like the kind of story you'd like to hear about? Well, Easter is that kind of story. It's exciting, it's engaging, but here's, here's what you need to know about Easter. It's not just a story to be listened to. It's a story you respond to. Because this story of Easter is about a love so powerful, it can not only change your life, it can actually give you a new life. And one of the ways that Easter gives us a new life is by giving us a new perspective on love. And that is so important in our world where there's so much confusion about love. So many people would say, well, you know, I've been hurt by love. I've been disappointed by love. I tried to love, but it just broke my heart. So let me ask you this. When it comes to love, what have you experienced in your life? Love. 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 Love in this world is pretty messed up. It asks for a lot and it never returns the favor. Love in my world 
Well, it brings more trouble than it's worth. In my world, love has felt like... Sabotage. It flees into the night. It, it, it leaves at the first sign of trouble. And it never feels like I love you no matter what. Because love in my world, it leaves. And when it leaves, there's only disaster left. No promise is a lot, but it doesn't deliver much. It breaks hearts. I've picked up the pieces of my broken heart one too many times. So I build walls. Love isn't worth the tears. The pain, the loneliness. The surrender. It's exhausting. Even when you try to do love right, love fails. I have made a mess out of love. What good is it? You can't help me. I love it all. Why do I even try to love? Why sacrifice to carry the burden? Why? 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 Because there is a perfect love. Perfect love that can end the disaster. A perfect love that can heal the brokenhearted. There is a love that saved those who are dwelling in this messed up world. God tells us about it because we wouldn't recognize it if it showed up on our own doorstep. It's a love that takes its time. It's profound. It doesn't brag or badmouth. God's love is like a shield that we know will never leave us. That you can trust. Hoping. And you never, ever exhaust it. That's his kind of love. And it never fails. And while we were keeping records of wrongs and self-seeking and being unkind, he still died for us. How can I love like that? How can I love like that? How can I love like that? Because I am loved like that. I can love well, not because of me, but because he first loved me. It's exactly what the Bible says, that we love because God first loved us. God made us so that we could receive love and, and give love to him and to others. And deep down, that's the kind of life that we really want. And that's the kind of life that Easter makes possible. This is what the Bible says. Let us thank the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was through his loving kindness that we are born again to a new life and have a hope that never dies. This hope is ours. Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. So how does God's love give us a new life? Well, first of all, God's love searches for people who are hiding. God's love searches for people who are hiding. In his book, Love Beyond Reason, Pastor John Ortberg makes this really um, thought-provoking connection between God's love for us and a game that I suspect most of us played as children. What is this game? Who can tell me? Hide and seek. How many of you have ever played hide and seek? And, and you know, the rules are pretty simple, aren't, aren't they? You've got the one who is the seeker, um, and you have the ones who run away and hide. Now, if you get to choose which part you get to play in the game, I would choose to run away and hide because you keep your eyes open. You feel like you're more in control. 
But when you're the seeker, I really wouldn't want that job because you have to let everybody get away, and then when you look for them and you can't find them, they secretly laugh at you. And then there's the name they give you when you're the seeker. What is the seeker called? Two letters. It. I mean, what's up with that? And, and every other game, the pivotal player gets a really cool title, like you get to be the pitcher or the quarterback or the goalie, but in hide-and-seek, you just get to be it. But here's the thing. It has to have a lot of patience and persistence to look for kids who are hiding. But what happens at the end of the game if the kids hide really too well? Well, then it has to yell these words out that kind of reverberate through the whole neighborhood. Ollie, ollie, oxen free! Who knows what that means? Well, kids that are hiding know what it means, apparently, because what do they do? They come out of hiding, they come home scot-free. story of Easter, the story of the human race, is a lot like the game hide-and-seek. Because if you know the story in the book of Genesis, there are two people who are hiding from God. And God decides to be it. He decides to go looking for them. And many of you know the story. God makes Adam and Eve and puts them in a perfect place, and things are great in paradise for a while. I mean, Adam never talks to Eve about what a great cook his mother was. And, uh, and Eve never brags to Adam about her former boyfriends. So they have a really good relationship. In fact, it's a perfect relationship. But then comes that day when they choose to disobey God. And everything changes. God says, look, you can eat from any tree in the whole garden, but the one in the middle, don't eat the fruit from that tree or you will surely die. And so they decide to disobey God, and that sets in motion a series of events that affect us to this very day. And looking back, when they decide to, to listen to the lie, what does God do? God comes looking for them. And this is what happens in Genesis chapter 3. It says this, When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. God called to the man, Where are you? He said, I, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid. Adam and Eve are naked and afraid. Some of you know there's a very popular TV show by that name. But this is a lot more serious because their decision doesn't just affect them, it affects the entire human race. And the question is, well, why are they afraid? And by the way, the first emotion mentioned in the Bible is fear. So what are they afraid of? Well, I think there are several things. First of all, they're afraid that God's going to know what they've done. They're afraid that God will see their heart, that they'll be exposed before God. And they're also afraid of, of punishment because God said, look, if you eat from this tree, you're going to die. So they're afraid that they're going to die. And not only that, they know there's nothing they can do to make things right with God. And so they hide. And what's true for Adam and Eve is true for us. Because like Adam and Eve, God has given us rules to live by. He said, hey, love me with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. But nobody does that perfectly. And so our sin separates us from a God who is holy. And not only that, we know that there is a consequence to our choices. There is a consequence for sin. And it's the same one that applied to Adam and Eve, to be separated from God forever, to die, and to be separated separated from the God who loves us. But then there's something else that we experience like Adam and Eve. There's nothing we can do to make that right. There's nothing we can do to fix our relationship with God. And so, like Adam and Eve, we hide. We don't want anybody to really see what's going on in our heart. We don't want people to know the things that we've done. 
And here's the reality that we deal with. We believe that if anybody really, really knew us, if you knew everything about me, if you knew what was going on in my head and my heart, you would never love me. And so we hide from God, we hide from each other, and in a way, we even hide from ourselves. And I want you to notice something. See the graphic on the screen right now? That's intended to convey what it feels like when you're hiding. Because life is out of focus. You can't see clearly the way ahead. And what we need is for God to give us his perspective so we can see ourselves and our lives from his point of view. And from his point of view, we need to know this. You are loved. That's why God becomes it. That's why God searches for hiding people like you and me. And that really makes sense when you look at what the Bible teaches about God. There's one God. He exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the story of Easter is about God the Father sending God the Son, Jesus, to our world on the greatest search and rescue mission ever known. In fact, Jesus says that this is his mission. He says, for the Son of Man, and that's Jesus' favorite title for himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are what? Lost. People who are hiding. So, so who's hiding? Well, the man who gets up every morning and goes to work and his coworkers say, how are you doing today? And he says, fine, just fine. But it's not true because he's lonely and he's discouraged and he's disconnected from his wife and his kids and, and he doesn't know what to do and so he works too much and, and drinks too much just to keep from having to deal with what's really happening in his heart. That guy is hiding. Or, or the woman who goes out and parties with her friends and yet inside she's angry. She's angry at herself, maybe angry at God because she doesn't have the life that she wants. She doesn't have the husband that she wants, but she keeps it inside because she's hiding. Or the teenager who, who gets up every day and goes to school and tries to make good grades and tries to please mom and dad and teachers, but conceals that doubt and that fear about who she really is and who she even wants to become. That person is hiding. Or maybe it's the couple that comes to church Sunday after Sunday and they're really friendly and it looks like they've got it all together. But the truth is their marriage is falling apart and, and they can't remember the last time they felt love toward each other. The reality is that we cannot make it out of hiding on our own. We need help. We need somebody who will search for us and rescue us. And this is why the Bible often compares people to sheep. Now, I actually brought a sheep with me this morning, and some of you have met my favorite sheep. Um, this is Sally, by the way. She has a name. And Sally lives in my office here in the church. But I brought Sally out again because I wanted to just reinforce some things that I've shared with you in the past about sheep and why they're like us. And one thing is this, and you may or may not know this, but sheep have no homing instincts. We've probably all heard the stories about dogs or cats, and they get lost. They travel hundreds of miles back home. Sheep can't do that. If a sheep gets lost, it is going to die unless somebody searches for it and rescues it. And here's something else. Um, sheep are not the most proactive animal in the world. Um, sheep are followers. You know, if one sheep goes over the cliff, what's going to happen to all the other sheep? They're going to go right over the cliff. Now, you would think that there would be one really smart sheep who would say, hey, Sally, did, did you see what happened? Uh, Ed went over the cliff there, and he didn't come back. Maybe we should think about this, but sheep never do that. They just blindly follow. It never occurs to them that it's a really bad idea. <laughs> sheep get lost. Sheep need to be rescued. 
Jesus told a story one time about the shepherd. He has a hundred sheep, and one sheep wanders away. So what does that shepherd do? Hey, see ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. What does the shepherd do? He leaves the 99, and he searches for that one woolly renegade. Why? Because the shepherd loves the sheep. That's what I want you to see next, that God's love for you and me rescues people who are hiding. God's love rescues people who are hiding. There was some dramatic news this week about a fire that took place in France. It was a Notre Dame Cathedral. Did you see that fire? Wasn't that something? Here's a picture of the fire. And I was listening to this program, and it was really intriguing because they said, nobody's inside the building, but there's a search and rescue mission underway. I'm thinking, there is? And they explained that there were these religious relics that they were trying to find and rescue from the fire. They talked about this crown of thorns that some people think Jesus actually wore. And there was a nail that they believe might have been used in the crucifixion, a piece of the cross. So they mounted this search and rescue mission. And as I was watching the fire, I thought about another chapter in my life because years ago, um, I was a firefighter and a paramedic here in South Florida. And we were trained in search and rescue. And that was a really exciting time in my life. I remember uh, at the fire academy, we had this six-story building and the training officers would start this really intense fire um, on the ground. And this is inside the building at the ground level. And then the training officers would actually go up to the floors above that and hide. And then we had to put ladders up and climb in the windows and search for them and rescue them. And I remember one of the training officers, his name was John. Um, he made an indelible impression on my life. It was when I met John that I actually was the one who needed to be rescued because I was running from God I was hiding from God and yet because God loved me he came looking for me and and rescued me and because of that the guys that I work with were seeing some rather remarkable changes in me and so I began to pray on my way to work hey God would you give me an opportunity to talk to these guys that I really care about about you about faith about Jesus and that began to happen more and more and so I tried to talk to Lieutenant John about faith, and he didn't want to hear it. I mean, he was not just skeptical, he was cynical. And yet, I would continue to pray for him and, and talk to him, but here was a guy who just wanted to call the shots himself. He didn't want to surrender his life to anybody. And then I remember, after I'd known John for a couple of years, um, he came to the fire station one day. I was actually on duty. Um, at that point, I was an officer. I had my own office. And John came to the fire station and said, hey, can, can I talk to you for a few minutes? I said, sure. And he started to tell me about how his life was literally falling apart. Um, he had health problems and family problems. And he said, Dudley, I don't know what to do. I said, John, actually, you know exactly what to do. You need to trust Jesus with your life, your whole life. And we talked and we talked. And finally, John said, you know what? I just can't do that. I can't trust Jesus. And he got up and he left. That was the last time I ever saw John. After that conversation, um, a series of events happened. I left the fire department. God called me to be a pastor. And I got a phone call from one of the guys that I used to work with. His name was Mike, and he said, Hey, Dudley, uh, John died. And uh, we're going to have a memorial service. Would you please come? It'd mean a lot to the guys. I said, Sure, Mike. And, and I showed up, and it was at this funeral home. And it was standing room only. This place was packed with firefighters. And it was really good to see the guys that I'd worked with and risked my life with because there's a special bond that we had with each other. But I was so incredibly sad because I really, 
I really loved John. I cared about him. And I was so sad about the way I thought his life worked out. Because as the pastor came up to talk about John and to do the service, he said, you know, I want you to know that I had a conversation with John shortly before he died. And he decided to follow Jesus. And I'll tell you what, when that happened, the tears started to roll down my face. Because I realized that here's the guy who taught me and so many others about search and rescue, and Jesus came and found him, searched for him, and rescued him. What a testimony to the power and the love of God. And, and here's the thing, for 2,000 years, that has been the message of the church. There's a God who loves you, a God who will search for you, a God who wants you to come out of hiding. And there was a man named Paul, follower of Jesus in the first century, and he was in hiding. And Jesus found him and rescued him and gave him a mission of sharing this good news with everybody he could. And the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 1 about the good news of Jesus. It's news I'm most proud to proclaim, this extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him. And you look at this and you go, well, wait a minute. What is this powerful plan, this, this powerful rescue plan? Well, it's quite simply this, that Jesus comes to our world on the greatest search and rescue mission the world has ever known. And Jesus does something that no human being had ever done. He lives a perfect life, a life of love. And then Jesus does this. He allows himself to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross because he loves us and wants our relationship with God to be restored. And here's what happens on the cross. God, the Father, is willing to take our sin and put our sin on Jesus. Jesus takes the punishment that we deserve. And then he dies. And imagine being there on that Friday when they take the lifeless body of Jesus down from the cross. It looks like it's over. The dream has died. The plan has been aborted. But the Easter story is not over because God is still in charge. And nothing is over until God says it's over. And three days later, the one who is called the Lion of Judah comes roaring back to life to give us a new life, a life where you can know that your past is settled, that your future is assured, and that God will give you everything you need to meet the challenges in your life today. But here's the question. How can you have that kind of life? You've got to come out of hiding. You've got to be honest with God about your faults and your failures and your sin. What is the one thing that can give you the courage to do that? And I believe there's only one thing, and it's this knowing that you're loved, really loved, no matter what, this unconditional love of God the Father. One of the best love musicals is this one, Phantom of the Opera. How many of you are familiar with this, this musical? It's a story of a, a man who has a horribly disfigured face and he lives in the shadows of the opera house. He falls in love with this rising star named Christine, and at the climax of the movie, the phantom decides to take off his mask. He decides to come out of hiding to let Christine see who he really is, and when he does that, when he takes off his mask, he's expecting her to recoil in horror. But instead, she tenderly kisses his face. And with that kiss, her love penetrates his heart and changes his heart. And that is so true about our relationship with God. First, our mask must come off. And then God's love can penetrate our heart and change our heart. 
And that's the last thing that I want you to see this morning, that God's love, God's love transforms people who are hiding. God's love transforms people who are hiding. There's a, a story in the Bible. It's one of my favorite stories. It's in Luke's biography of Jesus. And it's about a man named Zach. His full name is Zacchaeus, but Zach's easier to spell, so that's how he appears in my notes. But let me tell you the story of Zach. It's a really amazing story. Zach is a tax collector. Now, in the nation of Israel, tax collectors were despised. They were hated. They were social outcasts, and here's why. Rome occupied Israel, and instead of collecting taxes themselves, they would auction that privilege off to the highest bidder. So if you were Jewish, you could actually bid on becoming a tax collector, and then what you would do is this. You would collect as much money as you possibly could, give Rome its cut, and keep the rest for yourself. So everybody hated tax collectors. In fact, if you were a tax collector, you could not testify in court because nobody would believe a single word you said. So you can imagine what kind of life this guy, Zach, has. But here's something else that the Bible tells us about Zacchaeus. It says that he is vertically challenged. Now, that's not what the Bible says. That's kind of the politically correct term, right? So what does that mean? He is, he's a short guy. Um, Children have a song that they sing in Sunday school sometimes about Zacchaeus, and it says, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. But here's something about Zacchaeus. He is intensely curious about Jesus. Now, where did that curiosity come from? I think it's possible that Zacchaeus had heard about another tax collector named Matthew. And if you know the story, Matthew was called by Jesus to come and follow him, and he left his tax collecting business, and he actually had a party at his house and invited other tax collectors to come. Maybe Zacchaeus went to that party and he says, whoa, this guy Jesus is different. Never seen a religious leader like Jesus. He's willing to hang out with guys like us. Maybe he really does care. Well, anyway, Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is going to come to town and he has got to see Jesus. But, of course, he has a problem because he's a short little guy. And, you know, there's going to be a crowd around Jesus. So he comes up with a plan. And some of you know what that plan was. It was to climb a, a tree. Now, just, just imagine um, this story unfolding. Here's, here's Jesus, you know, he's walking down the road and all these people are around him and he stops at this tree and he looks up. What do you think everybody else does? Yeah, <laughs> they're all going to look up. Hey, Jesus, what's up in the tree? Is that a kid up there? Is that a kid? And, and Jesus says one word that arrests everybody's attention. Zacchaeus! And you can hear the murmur in the crowd. That traitor, that scoundrel. Is that Zacchaeus up there? And of course... It's really hard to carry on a conversation with somebody up in a tree. So Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. And he comes down, and then Jesus says the words that stun everybody. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. And can you imagine Zacchaeus going, you want to come to my house? Oh, yeah, I want to come to your house because um, we need to talk. And we don't know the words that were spoken, but we know the outcome of those words. And I suspect that, that Jesus explained to Zacchaeus how much he loved him. And Jesus invited him to come out of hiding, and he did. Because his heart was changed. And we know that because Zacchaeus, at the end of the story, says, you know what, um, Jesus, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay him four times as much, and I'm going to give half of all I own to the poor. And here's what I want you to see. It was the love of Jesus that changed the heart of Zacchaeus. And it is the love of Jesus Christ that changes our hearts today. And I'll tell you what, I really believe this. That's what gives us hope. You know, there are things in my heart that need to be changed. And I have hope because I know Jesus can change them. And I hope that's true for you. And there are, there are people that I love, 
And I believe that, that the love of Jesus Christ is so powerful, it can change their lives as well. And here's, here's the thing. If you want your heart to change, this is what the Bible encourages you to do. It says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way that you think. When you think that this Easter story is true, when you believe that this Easter story is true, it changes you. It changes everything. I mean, if God has the power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, do you think that he has the power to resurrect a dead relationship? Can he bring a dead marriage back to life? I know the answer to that question. Yes, he can. What about this? If God has the power to raise his son from the dead, does he have the power to set somebody free from a life-crushing addiction? Yes, he can. And if God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, can he heal your broken heart? Absolutely. But what do you have to do to experience that healing and that change? You've got to come out of hiding. You've got to be honest with God. You've got to be willing to go home to a father who loves you like nobody else. Ernest Hemingway wrote this book. It's called The Capital of the World. And he tells a story about this father and son who had a, a bitter argument, and the son left home. He was hiding from his father. And the father was heartbroken. He tried searching for his son, but he was unsuccessful. And finally, in a last-ditch effort to locate his son, he put an ad in the local newspaper, and it said this, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. I love you, Papa. Well, this is a picture of the Hotel Montana. This is in Madrid, Spain. And when the father showed up the next day at noon, he couldn't believe his eyes. There were 800 young boys there named Paco, all seeking the love and forgiveness of their dad. And so, church, th the message of Easter is so clear. It's three words. This is love. A love that searches for people who are hiding. A love that rescues people who are hiding. A love that transforms people like you and me who are hiding. Because the reality is this. When you come out of hiding and you step into the light of God's love, it means that you have nothing to prove, nothing to hide, and nothing to fear. And so this Easter story is not just a story you listen to. It's a story you respond to. And with that in mind, would you take a look at your outline this morning? It says this, how will you respond to God's love? And listen, I am so very thankful that each one of you is here today. I was up early this morning praying for you. I didn't know who would come today, but I prayed, God, the people who come today, help them to respond to your love. And so here's, here's the, the main thing. You've heard about Easter. You've heard about a God who loves you. What are you going to do with that truth? And there are several things that, that you can do in the way of response. Here's the first. Um, I've decided to follow Jesus, and I'm living the new life he promised. I have a friend, and when he became a Christian, his life was dramatically changed. And whenever I say, hey, how are you doing? He says, I'm living the life. And I know what he means. It doesn't mean that he has a perfect life, because there's still pressures and problems and pain, but he knows that Jesus loves him. And he knows that God's in charge of his life. And listen, if that's where you are today, I am so thankful that is a wonderful place to be. But maybe that's not where you are today. Maybe if you were honest, you'd look at this other option here. I'm someone who's decided to follow Jesus, but I'm struggling to live this new life that he promised. And I will say this, if that's you, you're not alone. There are so many struggles that we encounter after we decide to follow Jesus. And listen, when we struggle 
when we mess up, when we have doubts and fears, you know what we naturally do? We hide. But here's the only thing that will heal our heart, the only thing that will change our heart. We've got to step into the light of God's love. But here's the challenge. Sometimes we're not convinced that God loves us. I've had so many conversations with people that say, you know what, I don't, I don't get this. I mean, my head tells me God loves me, but, but why doesn't he answer my prayers? I mean, I pray and pray and pray. I prayed for my kids, and look what happened. I prayed for my finances. I prayed for my health. And it seems like God doesn't even listen. And not only that, I look around and I see God answer the prayers of other people. Does God love them more than he loves me? I just don't get it. Can I encourage you to do this? Consider the story of Easter. Because, listen, there are so many things I don't understand about God and what he is up to, but I believe that God is good. And I believe that God cares and that God's in charge. And the reason that I believe that with all my heart is because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God loves you. God's in charge of your life. And let me say this. Um, this is true um, about churches, not just here in the U.S., but even around the world. There are a lot of people in church on Easter Sunday. And that's a wonderful thing. And I am so glad that each one of you is here. But if you're somebody who typically, you know, only goes to church on holidays... Let me just tell you, I really want you to come back. I want you to come back next week um, because I understand what can happen. You know, you may decide to follow Jesus and then, you know, life happens and you get distracted and, and you start to disconnect from God and from church and, and all those things and your life becomes different. But I want to encourage you, come back next week because we're going to continue this series about love, about God's love and the difference it makes in our lives and I would love for you to be here and to continue that relationship with Jesus. But maybe your response is this, because it's also on your outline. Um, if you take a look there, it says this. I have never decided to follow Jesus, and I am not ready to accept this new life God promised. You know, if you're there, it's good to be honest about where you are spiritually. But I encourage you to do this, to continue to come and hear about this God who loves you. Talk to people who've decided to follow Jesus because their perspective can help shape your thoughts and your life as well. And then finally, there's another, another choice. I've never decided to follow Jesus, but I want to trust him today to give me the new life that he promised. And listen, if that's you, if, if you feel God speaking to you, calling you to make the most important, the most courageous decision of your life to follow Jesus. I want to give you a chance to do that before you leave here this morning. And so, could we do this? Could we just bow our heads? And let me pray for, for all of us right now. God, thank you for Easter. Thank you for this incredible story of Jesus coming to our world because of his great love. And God, I pray so very much that we would know that love today. Lord, I pray for those today who are Christians and yet who are struggling, God. I pray that you would remind them, convince them of how much they are loved. God, I pray for those that are hiding something from you or, or from their spouse or, or from other people that they could come to you and be honest and just come into the light of your love, God, so you can change their heart and heal their heart. And Father, today, I pray for the one that you're talking to, the one that you're calling to step across this line of faith and give their lives to Jesus. And listen, if that's you today, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, here's what you can do. Head bowed, eyes closed. You don't have to say any magic words, but you have to talk to God in your own words. So you can just, in your own words, say, God, I have failed in so many ways and I'm sorry for my sin. Just tell God that in your own words. 
And you can say, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and, and came back to life. Just tell God you believe that story, that it actually happened. Just tell God that in your own words. And you can also do this, just say, hey, God, I don't understand all this stuff about Christianity or the Bible and faith, but I know this. I want to follow Jesus. I want him to, to be in charge of my life. You can just tell God that right now. I've decided to follow Jesus. Father, thank you for the one who prayed that prayer because I know this, God. I know this, that you will run to rescue each one of us who decides to follow Jesus. And God, today on this Easter, we are so very thankful that the victory of Jesus Christ is our victory. God, thank you that Jesus has overcome sin and death, that he is going to come back and make all things new, that Easter points us to that reality. And God, most of all, thank you for your love, a love that will last forever.